that's the only way the world has changed is for somebody that's audacious enough, like a child, when there's 10,000 human beings on the hillside that are hungry and the adults are all like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? The child said, well, hey, here's my lunch. Jesus, can you take this five loaves of bread and two fish? And that is the only thing that the king has been using. You are listening to the Christian Music Archive podcast, part of the new release today podcast network. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Each week, I share stories about Christ, community, and music, chatting with musical guests who you will find listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of our community. In the opening of my podcast every week, I express my desire that we become a better part of our community. That is the cry of my heart. How can I use the skills and interests God has given me to help make my community, my state, my world a better place? My hope is that by talking to my guest today, you might find the courage to get plugged in to help your community. Today, I'm talking with David Zock. He's from the band Remedy Drive. Now, here's a guy who was just minding his own business, trying to be a rock star, when he learned about the atrocities of human slavery around the world. And David had the guts to say, I'm not just going to read about it and watch the stories on the news. I'm going to do something. I'm going to get involved. Each week, I share about the work of Mercy, Inc. This is one of the ways that I have decided to make a difference in the world. Now, I'm not necessarily able to go to Africa, South Asia, or even Latin America to make an impact for God, but I do have the opportunity to share the stories of the work Mercy, Inc. is doing with you, and hopefully you will find a way to be involved. Yes, I am very passionate about Mercy, Inc., so much so that you can read about it on my website, christianmusicarchive.com slash mercy. Like I said, this is one way I have chosen to get involved. But ultimately, my point of sharing about mercy or talking to people like David Zock is to hopefully ignite a spark in you. I hope that hearing stories about these amazing people will cause you to look at your community and find a way that you can be involved in helping make the world a better place. Well, I'd like to welcome to the podcast from Remedy Drive, David Zock. They have just released a brand new album, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. But he's got some amazing stuff that he's doing, and I can't wait for you guys to hear what's going on. So welcome with me to the podcast, David Zock. Dave, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Yeah, very good to have you. Um, Let's just kind of jump in and get started. You've been in Remedy Drive now for, gosh, about 22 years as far as I Recall, is that right? Yeah, yeah. It started off as the Aslan band, and then oh. Remedy, and then added Drive on. So, what was what's kind of the uh, impetus behind the name? We called ourselves Remedy. Um, I was in high school at the time, so I I was responding actually to a Dave Matthews song. Ah, not a lot of people have heard this before. He has a song that essentially is saying he's you know we're we're all seeking for a remedy, and it's just pretty much 
the weekend and substances and and so I, was, I you know I just through the word in hindsight I think a lot of bands would say the same thing you know I wish I would have came up with something that wasn't such a common word <laughs> <laughs> right right well that part that parlays into your new album which we'll talk a little bit about because that doesn't have <laughs> a common name but uh, so let's talk about how you got started you said your first band is in high school how did you get started doing music was it just something you were born with or well, I grew up listening to a lot of Keith Green. He's a piano player. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, and acapella. Those oh, okay. are that was pretty much all I was allowed to listen to. And uh, my parents threw away all their rock and roll <laughs> uh, when they uh, you know joined the Jesus movement uh, out in the sixties. Uh, but I think it made its way through <laughs> intravenously <laughs> somehow. Yeah. So I just loved writing, and I just been just playing the piano i'd play for hours at my mom's and dad's house mm -hmm. uh in the living room i just play and play and i stopped reading uh when i was like 12 oh wow and, and i learned uh i just started i realized i looked at the that the piano and the way people kind of look at a guitar like a i just learned chords and and thought and numbers yeah and i just loved it never thought it could be something i do for a living in high school we'd play like talent shows and uh, stuff like that. In college, I had a mathematics degree, and it was still me and my brothers playing together in different subsets of the brothers. Yeah, the oldest moved to college, so the youngest jumped in on drums, and then when the <laughs> oldest moved back, the youngest learned guitar. Yeah, so it all started that way. So uh, you guys were independent for quite some time, and yeah. then you got discovered, quote unquote, <laughs> by Word yeah. Records. How did that? How did that come about? We played a talent show in Omaha, Nebraska at a little venue called The Rock. And there was uh, an A&R guy there. And he entered, he wasn't A&R. He was just a, they sent a non-A&R guy to a talent show. So he wasn't even, uh, you know, he wasn't even in that role at the label, but he believed in us and championed us through the process. We got a producer in Nashville to make our last indie album and then showed that album to people and turned, and we signed with, uh, Warner Brothers, uh, Word, Word Records is underneath Warner Brothers. Yeah, yeah. So how did that change your band? I mean, were you were you traveling more regionally? I mean, did you expand beyond that before you were signed, or did that kind of expose you to a huge audience that nobody had heard of you before kind of a thing? We were traveling a ton. We were playing 200 concerts a year. Wow. Uh, when we got signed. And I think that that's what made us less of a risk to a record label. Yeah. Because they know at least we're going to sell thousands of units on our own at our at our table. Yeah. Uh, but it was life changing, uh, because we wrote a song called all along and it worked at the radio. And then we combined that with, with, uh, we had a great booking team that helped get us at a lot of the festivals. So, and so, so I didn't realize when I was indie, how much doors open mm. through mass exposure. Oh, yeah. And I was so scared of mass exposure because of the censorship and the, commoditizing that I'd always heard about that exist mm -hmm. in those businesses. They're just businesses right. for anybody that thinks they're anything other than a business. They're just a business. Yeah. So I was scared of it for good reason, <laughs> but thankfully we were able to get through with, with a few songs that we really believed in that worked. So that gave you this wide platform. Uh, obviously you signed with words. So there's a spiritual content to your music. Um, yeah. how did that was that always from the beginning when you were playing with your brothers? Was it always something to do with Jesus? I mean, you were obviously raised in a Christian home with, with Keith Green and some of that being yeah. played. 
talk about your talk about how the spiritual impact became your own and not just something that you you know mom and dad always did well that that's a question that i wonder about more and more the older i get to be honest with you um to answer the first part of your question i never used the name jesus in a song between uh, 1998 and 2014 okay and in 2014 when we get into talk about trafficking it it was it was like jesus where are you that was the Mm -hmm. first time i I, I think the only time I've ever used his name in a song. and But I always, like I loved U2, especially the band U2. I like how you find these little Easter eggs in there, and it makes it all the more rewarding, you know, when you when you realize like the song The End of the World was actually written from Judas's perspective, and you, you see little nuggets of scripture, like you see the bird with the leaf in her mouth in the song Beautiful Day. Um, and especially in college, I, I my goal was to play, when we played our concerts, I just wanted anybody to appreciate the fact that this music is happening hoping if they dig it dig in a little bit more they'd be moved yeah in in that direction but the other half of your question i don't know i i I grew up thinking you know so we we grew up with such an angst against what people might call religion which is a broad term right right because it was like you know no we're we're not religious we've discovered like the way to do everything and so our way was the way and everybody mm-hmm. else had it wrong <laughs> <laughs> right and uh then traveling and realizing that everybody has their way that they you know i, I thought people believed what they believed i was i'd learned you know my as as great and as careful as my parents were we still learned that everybody else was wrong with the way they're doing things and they were just wrong because they they want to be wrong hmm. And uh, the more I traveled, I realized that everybody has a good, whether they can back it up with scripture or with tradition, uh, they have reasons for the for the for what they believe in the way they worship. Right. And I, and that's been a that's been a journey for me. Yeah. I, so I'm on that journey. Yeah. Well, and I I honestly believe that we never really stop being on that journey. That that we're always growing and taking the input of those around us, the situations that we're in, the yeah. things that we go through, and trying to weigh that against this both historical Jesus and the real Jesus that we experience ourselves, and how does that tie together? Yeah. Well, you kind of alluded to—well, I don't want to go there yet, because I want to hear about the new album first. Uh, let's talk about the new album, um, and I'm going to butcher the name of it. I wrote it down here so that hopefully I, I don't butcher it. It, it is um, Imago—you um, you better help me. <laughs> Imago Amor. Yeah. So maybe I've overcompensated for, for using uh, such a common <laughs> word, like you said earlier. Yeah. I got a kick out of that. Imago is Latin for the image of, and Amor is Spanish for love. What is kind of the hope of the album, the message that you're trying to do? Now, I know this parlays into what we're going to talk about next, yeah. but talk a little bit about that. It's the third album in a trilogy of counter-trafficking albums, uh, Shine a Light on Slavery and Injustice. Imago Amor, uh, different than Commodity, different than the North Star, I was really intentional about uh, trying to sing in a hopeful manner hmm. and trying to to nudge us towards hope and beauty and to remind the world of of beauty. Yeah. I think that's important for art to do is to remind us of our loveliness, remind us of of um, 
of our commonality. We're made for each other in the image of love. You and me made for each other in the image of love. Strangers and neighbors and wonder we are all alike. Captivated and exiled under the same stars tonight. We made peace when we were younger, before we learned to fight. Every grain of sand is numbered in the first light. commonality for me that I lose track of, that I uh, am trying to turn from any time it sneaks back in, is the fact that my neighbor, literally my next door neighbor across the street, is fabricated and designed in such a intricate and wonderful and precise and fearful way. And, uh, you know, most of us have heard of the term Imago Dei when, right. when, when in that creation story of Hebrew scripture and, and even Sumerian scripture, they say, let us create the Adam, let us create the humanity. And in the image, in the image of God, they made, they made humanity. What does that mean in the breath of lives? And when I see, um, when I see someone, this is the main point of this album, when I see someone that thinks about issues differently than me, mm -hmm. that person is not my enemy. That person is intricately designed in the image of love. The maker is love. The best definition of creator is love. He who is love and designed us to be love, but also to love, whatever that means, trying to, and so instead of seeing somebody that, 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 that views race differently than me, sure that views racial reconciliation and racial justice and and doesn't put the same weight on on that as I do to view that person in the image of love this someone that that sees political issues differently than the way I do or or sees theology like we were talking about earlier this person's not my enemy right this person's not my enemy this person and to realize and and I wanted to try to capture what I've experienced all over the world yeah eating with refugees eating with enslaved people sharing a drink with with a 14 year old girl that's enslaved or a, or a, or or eating with traffickers, right? Uh, 
talking about barbecue with my neighbor that you know is a kind of a, a religious nationalist mm -hmm. uh uh instead of seeing that whatever you could bring to that just being no this this person is fearfully and wonderfully designed in the image of love yeah yeah so this brings us around to uh you've mentioned it several times i know this is the root of of what you're really heart and passionate about is the work that you're doing with exodus road so i i'd like if you wouldn't mind just giving us a brief description of what exodus road is and then was your music from the very, very beginning always going this way? Or what was it that just captured your heart about the need to be working to help free slaves, I mean, literal slaves today? Yeah. So the Exodus Road is a counter-trafficking organization. We find evidence of slavery, and then we partner with authorities, whether it's local law enforcement, regional, United Nations, Interpol, we partner with authorities to make raids against these organizations that are trafficking young girls, mainly young girls and boys for sex. That's our focus. Even though labor trafficking is a big issue and mm -hmm. we, we've been involved in helping, um, our specific focus is intervening when someone's being trafficked. And that requires us to go into really rough spots, red light districts, sometimes brothels out in the jungles, um, dark alleys, street sides where they're selling girls and drugs. And, and so I've been in Bangkok, Thailand, and Latin America. We have teams in India. We're expanding in different countries right now. So that's what the Exodus Road is. And the story, telling it these last eight years, it seems like I'm making it up, to be honest with you. The more I tell it, the more I'm, I'm like, how did that really happen? Yeah. You, you could see earlier from um, some of my angst, but why we stayed independent for 10 years. There was a reason why we did. And then when we got signed, there was a reason why that didn't stick. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I'm thankful for the platform it gave us. Right. There was no room to use that platform or leverage mm -hmm. that platform for anything else than safe for the whole family baloney. Yeah. And I'm not interested in what's positive, encouraging, and safe for the whole family because Jesus wasn't safe for the whole family. Right. He, he pushed and, and said, no, if, if you're going to claim to follow me, you got to go and follow in my, my instructions. Go lay down your life for someone else. Yeah. And that message that's so central to, to the teachings of Jesus Christ, that self-sacrifice, that pushing aside my own rights and privileges and elevating that, I realized pretty quickly how unpopular that was, one, to talk about yeah. in, 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 in these circles, and especially not to sing about. So I had a ton of pushback from label executives at both labels we were at, um, whether it was A&R or marketing or, or presidents of like, that's not going to sell. Why mm -hmm. would you want to sing about social causes? That's isn't worship singing. And man, when that guy said that to me, I was like, what are you talking about? And I had just read Amos five mm -hmm. that says, I hate your worship songs. Stop singing. The sound of your praise annoys my ears mm. i told you what i wanted you to do i told you to go do justice yeah to pay a fair wage to welcome exiles and yeah. refugees and instead you're just singing so shut up you plugged your ears to to the cries of the poor so i'm going to plug my ears when you pray so that was the context of what i'd been reading yeah and isaiah 58 says something very similar and isaiah 1 too and 
And so I moved as a songwriter, like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Am I gonna am I gonna sell my soul, my birthright, and let them shrink wrap me again? Let them censor me because they were sent. They were they were changing my quotes mm-hmm. in um, in in press. So press releases, I would see things I didn't say uh. in press releases, and they would put words in my mouth. Um, not not that what I said was wrong. It just wasn't what what they needed for their target market. And they so I see this this commoditizing of the listener. They call her Becky behind closed doors. Hmm. But then I see it commoditizing on my own soul too yeah. at the same time. And so in this really miraculous way, I started writing about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like I am a soul inside a body. Yeah. I'm not a commodity. I love that song. And <laughs> it was so cool the way it came about. And then my daughter, when we watched Coney 2012, she says, Dad, why not God protect those boys? Hmm. And she's talking about these boys that are kidnapped and enslaved and forced to fight. Their sister's forced to be the child brides of generals. Yeah. And I'm watching that around the same time, and I'm like, I'm writing about this. And that's when I wrote down, Jesus, where are you? They're far too young. And tried to push it through, tried to convince the team, like, this is... This is uh, this is needs to be said. We need to shine a light on slavery. Yeah, like there's more people enslaved at any time in human history right now. And we we thought about it a lot, and we decided we're we're gonna have to part ways with this label and maybe the whole industry uh, in order to do this. And I'm so thankful that the Remedy Drive community are helped fund mm-hmm. the next three albums now. Yeah, and here's the miraculous part. Everything that led up to that was moment upon moment. I watched 12 Years a Slave, watching Selma, and I was just moved by the example of brave people throughout history. Martin Luther King Jr. in his last speech says, now is the time for us to develop a kind of dangerous unselfishness. Mm. And that quote, like quotes like that, they just grab you because they killed him the next day. Mm -hmm. They shot him the next day. It was one of the last things he said. Made me just feel restless, like, what am I doing? Mm. I'm just trying to keep on building my band, build my kingdom. Isn't there something more to yeah. do and just sing? And um, so I was halfway through writing Commodity when I met Matt Parker, who founded the Exodus Road. And I'm sitting across the table from a guy that didn't know that it, you know, he liked all along. So I'm thankful for the song all along and, mm-hmm. and for the record label to put it on the radio because Matt wouldn't have known who I was right. had it not been for that song. Right. But he didn't know I was in the middle of writing a song about a whole album about his work. Mm. Nor did I know that we'd end up merging in the way we did. Yeah. So that's how it all started. So, so you got this tug on your heart from things that you were watching. Yeah. Um, had you actually been in a situation yet where you'd actually seen this firsthand? No. Um, I followed several people on Twitter that were doing this work. Mm-hmm. And then I read a ton of articles about it and justice in general, whether it's the 2100 times justice and poverty and our, our responsibility to, to exiled and enslaved people in scripture, 2100 times. Okay. All of that just was just this steady looking back. It was just a steady nudge for almost 15 years. Yeah. And I didn't resist it like all of us. I, I was like, yeah, I care about that stuff. Yeah. And then I tell myself, yeah, I care about that, that stuff. 
and I was, then I started asking myself, like, okay, how? How do I care about that stuff? And I didn't have an answer. Right. So for me, I just kept on digging in, and I thought that if I wrote an album, that could be my, that, that's my contribution. Yeah. And it is my contribution. Part of it, yeah. <laughs> but um, I think because of all that time just studying, because I, I wanted to be honest when I wrote it, so I didn't want to be uninformed in my lyric. And in, even in the emotion that I brought to writing the album Commodity, I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to, 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 to just depend on platitudes. Right. I wanted, I wanted it to be real. I wanted to. And so when I met Matt, it was November of 2013 from the Exodus Road. I did strip back like four songs of all their lyric and start over. Oh, wow. And then I went, overseas the first trip three months later and rebuilt the lyric to those songs yeah. based on experiences I had over in Asia. So, so talk about that first trip. You, you kind of had this nudge on your heart, this tug, I I've got to do something myself. Yeah. You met Matt and Matt says, Hey, come, I've got this trip. Talk about what that was like for you, uh, from a not so naive because you'd been studying, but yeah. firsthand experiences, a doozy. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I've, I've, now that I'm 42, it's wearing off a little bit, but I've always, um, felt invincible hmm. and it, 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 I've always felt, uh, uh, impervious to sorrow even. Huh. Um, and so I thought going into it, I've read about it. I studied about it. I know all about this. I'm prepared. But the first time you sit down and order a drink at a little, little countryside bar, with a dirt floor and that was in February for me and a girl that's like 15 sits down next to you and she has a midriff on jean shorts flip-flops there is no way to describe that that feeling of seeing somebody's daughter being put in that situation where she's there to be sold for sex yeah and seeing it in real life and being you know being right there like that everything goes into slow motion um you're scared because there's security at, at a lot of these places um you're sorrowful but we're being we're undercover so we're pretending to be customers on that first trip i didn't use any technology yet but we use technology so i have to i have to i have to make sure i'm capturing the evidence we need to capture what's going on and that's that that's tense yeah and so all these emotions um, are all at their height. The fear and the sorrow, uh, the adrenaline. And looking back at her, that there's one particular girl from that first trip that I wrote a lot of the lyric about. I just looked back on my way out the door and I paid for, for the drinks. We made up an excuse to go after we negotiated what it would cost and so they might might have been relieved that, or they might have been disappointed because they have to meet a quota. And I paid, and I kind of gave her a side hug and walked away. The only way we could communicate is through the phone, like Google Translate on a phone. Oh yeah. And just leaving her there was was really really traumatic for me, um, which doesn't compare by any means to the trauma that she's going through. But sure. leaving it leaving a child in that situation is the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. 
I work with an organization. Uh, they do a big podcast, and I engineer it for them, but uh, called Mercy Inc. And they have their partnership with organizations that do all kinds of work around the world. And one of our episodes was talking with one of their organizations that does this human trafficking, human slavery stuff. And this guy said he was like you were undercover and saw these people come out from under the bridge with the bait. And he, he said, it looked like my daughter. And that for him was the thing that said, I have to do something. I cannot stand by idly, read about it on the news and say, well, somebody will take care of it. I need to take care of it. And that sounds to me like what you were experiencing is this angst of, I got to do something. And the way that William Wilberforce put it, an abolitionist from the 1800s, England did the right thing well before we did here in the States. And what he said was, um, now that you've seen it, you can look away, but you can never again say you did not know. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I mean, it's the equivalent of, it's an Amber Alert times yeah, you know, we have Amber's alerts here, and we're consi- cont- continually celebrating. You know, you see, you see articles of of rescues. You know, see forty kids rescued in in Georgia or whatever, and, and a few of those might have been exposed to trafficking, yeah. and that's exciting. But we rally. We 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 learned to rally. You know, we have all sorts of ways to keep an eye out for it. Um, but it so that's why it feels so weird. Mm. And the reason for anybody listening that doesn't understand why would you ever leave a, a girl in that environment? We're we're there to dismantle that criminal network that's responsible for that. We are not vigilantes. We can't be. It's wrong. It's a flash in the pan if we do that. Mm-hmm. We'll get kicked out of the country. You know, we'd be kidnapping her yeah. if we ran with her. And so we have to do it the right way. And the right way is tedious. It's long hours. It's puts us in in really awkward and awful and uncomfortable and sorrowful situations nonstop. Um, But I'm really proud of this organization. I'm proud to be part of it. When I joined in 2013, we were celebrating 150, 200 rescues and we just, we just hit 1500, which is really exciting for me. Yeah. We're we're tearing a little corner off the darkness and I get to be part of it. Yeah. And that sorrow that I experience, I've found to be such an important, important and integral ingredient for joy. Hmm. And that's why I have no problem inviting people into this work Yeah, or work like it in the justice, mercy, or compassion arena. You need that sorrow. Yeah. You're built in such a way where without that sorrow, you're not going to, you're not going to feel that fulfillment or experience that, that abundant life that requires a seed being put into the ground and, and dying for it to bear fruit. Mm. Yeah. So you have been back multiple times now, like you said, undercover. What does a typical undercover trip look like for you? I mean, obviously we're not going to give away all your secrets because if anybody yeah. listen, but I mean, what, what kinds of things are, are you able to do? And then, and then the follow up to that, you say you're working with law enforcement. Do you get to see these rescues actually take place or is that something that you have to be, well, I know it happens. The bulk of the work with the Exodus Road is done by our national operatives. Okay. Women and men born in India that are continually doing sting operations and rescue operations partnered with Indian police. Okay. Uh, in Southeast Asia, they're born in the countries we're working at. Same with Latin America. Okay. Uh, 
the reason why I go over on short-term deployments is because there's a real need and requests from law enforcement for Westerners because, because of our wars, um, one of the biggest red light districts in, in Bangkok, for instance, was set up post Vietnam by, uh, by some U United States soldiers. Hmm. And so that particular street is called soy cowboy after, mm -hmm. you know, an American cowboy. Uh, so wow. sex tourism so that street, you can't really be be from the, that country to be a customer. It's made for sex tourism. Wow. And that sex tourism industry is propped up by the demand for prostitution uh, when, when, our, when our boys were deployed over there. And uh, there's several red light districts like that in Asia. And so they need, they need Westerners sometimes to go in to find evidence or to, to go into it a particular establishment and the same with latin america they call it the gringo effect it's very helpful to have mm -hmm. someone posing as a rich american to come down and kind of kind of get the traffickers to come out of the out of the woods but i want to say that in context for in, anybody in listening i i go over and our teams from here go over and all of us go over in a volunteer capacity um which I love that because it saves the organization a ton of money. Sure. Yeah. When me and people that we recruit pay our way, buy our own plane tickets, pay our own food. Yeah. Uh, pay a lot of the expenses of the trip, which means that the bulk of the budget's going into the national teams. Yeah. Uh, but in Latin America, the downside for me is I've never been there. My, my wife's bummed out that this is a dream of mine, but I want to be there when, when the, uh, when the gate gets broken down. Yeah. Although on my last trip to Latin America, I got to see all these people that I hung out with. I mean, you hang out, sometimes you're in scenarios where you're, where you're spending four or five hours at, you know, at an establishment or out in the countryside or by the beach with traffickers and undercover law enforcement, male and female. It's a very odd environment. Yeah. Um, and you, it's it's strange, but I know traffickers. I know about their children sometimes. I know mm. about the music they like. And the same with the girls that are being sold. I know about what was weird for me the first time I started going to Latin America. I was so used to only talking about pop music with, with uh, you know, young girls in Thailand. You know, they're teenagers, like 15. One girl was saying to me, like, you like Paul Walker? And I thought, she, I was like, What's, what are you saying? And I was like, help me. And she, so she typed in, youtube like that that when will i see you again mm -hmm. or that walker song when he died she yeah. loved that song huh. and i'm not a pop music fan uh <laughs> but when i went to latin america i was talking about Coldplay, so i shared a lot of this i shared a lot of the um and i didn't when i imitated her by the way I'm, i did i'm doing so in the, in in the most endearing way i just loved the way she said paul walker's yeah name. it was just so sweet and so but it was hard for me to understand because sure uh, so she had to type it in. I try not to make a habit of imitating accents. <laughs> I, I can't do accents anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. so, so you mentioned in Latin America, you were able to sit with some of these people who had been rescued after the fact. Oh no, I'm sorry. That wasn't clear. Oh, okay. I saw traffickers get busted. Oh, 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 okay. Not, not because I was on a comms with, with law enforcement. I had already flew back to the States. Gotcha. Um, 
but I want to be there. I want, you know, I want to, yeah. I want to put a vest on, but that, that's just selfish to me. I don't need to be there. That's not going to help anything. They, that's what they do. I will contribute this, this little piece. Have you been able to meet any of the girls uh, that have been rescued? Have you been able to see the change in their eyes uh, when they realize they're no longer a commodity? I was in Cambodia a few years ago. We started buying all our band's t-shirts by organizations that do aftercare. Okay. And uh, part of what they, they're doing in aftercare, in addition to art trauma, like trauma therapy, sometimes they use art for trauma mm-hmm. therapy. So art therapy and music therapy, they're they're giving the girls skills outside of that industry because some 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 girls and some women ended up in that industry like at 15, 14, 13, and it's all they've known. If if they get out of it at 17, 18, they don't have any work history. How are they going to? So giving giving them um, work history and what's the thing called where you where you take to a job interview? Job skills, a resume. A resume, giving them a resume. Um, but I met a girl that had been rescued eight years beforehand, and she is now invested into some of those programs, which is just the coolest thing ever. Wow. And I know that I, I haven't met them face-to-face, but some of our social workers in India, same story. Yeah. Like, to come out the other side, there's a, there's a resilience and a power to the Imago Amor. Yeah. There's something about our design that is so beautiful that, that there is potential for restoration. So you're this young rock and roller from Nebraska and maybe there's, there are people listening today that feel like, Oh, I'm just a plumber from Arkansas Mm -hmm. or I'm just a, an accountant from Portland or whatever. But this sounds, this sounds like something I should be, but I'm not, I'm nothing special. Hmm. What would you say to that person to say, to encourage what they're feeling into something where they're doing something tangible? Justice is and always has been in the hands of the ordinary. Uh, Right now, I'm using my son's gamer headphones and microphone. You're using the currency of your microphone right there. Mm Mm-hmm the currency of your platform and you're investing it in this conversation in the lives of enslaved people. And it doesn't feel significant for me right now. It might not for you. It might. There are times where it does feel significant. I have the currency of my rock and roll band. I'm just a kid from Nebraska. You're right. But I have discovered that the only way anything has ever changed in history is when ordinary people decided to respond to what's written on their heart and what's written on my heart what's written on your heart is echoed in scripture Mm -hmm. 2100 times this longing to participate in somebody else's freedom scripture reminds me of it that instruction that shows up over and over again in every book, the, my, my responsibility to advocate for poor and enslaved and exiled people, um, from Esther to, to, to the instruction over and over for, with Jesus, uh, 
with Ke- you know Keith Green, his sheep and the goats was yeah. so good. Yeah, that's like it's it's already innate in you, and s- scripture and hopefully songs like U two songs for me, yeah. and maybe Remedy Drive songs for somebody else. It pulls out and reminds you of what's already there. It reminds you of a fire that was that was woven into the very fabric of your soul. Yeah. Echoes in a deep chamber of your heart, and maybe it's been reduced to just a spark. I believe this podcast can breathe a little bit of oxygen on that fire and remind you that, yeah, they're, that you're, you're just a domestic engineer. You're just a plumber, like you said. You're just a – that's the only way the world has changed is for somebody that's audacious enough, like a child, when there's 10,000 human beings on the hillside that are hungry and the adults are all like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? <laughs> the child said, well, hey, here's my lunch. Yeah. Jesus, can you take this five loaves of bread and two fish? And that is what the only thing that the king has been using for. And I don't know why I'm frustrated. Mm-hmm. There should be a better plan than, than to use us <laughs> for change. <laughs> well, you know, you, you talked a little bit earlier about we're built in the image of love, in the image of God. Yeah. And I firmly believe that if that is true, and if we as, as believers own that statement, yeah. God loves everyone. He loves the enslaved girl. Yeah. He loves the trafficker. He and so if if we are in God's image and the image of God is I love them and want to save them and rescue them. And if we're carbon copies of that, we have that in us too. And we yeah. have to figure out how is it that I can be a difference maker. Now granted there may be people that can't leave their job, but they can invest in organizations like the Exodus Road. They can become informed. They can say, I am going to do something with my time other than sit in front of the TV at night watching Law and Order or whatever. Yeah. Or maybe, don't hate me, instead of investing four nights a week plus Sunday morning to sing songs together. You know? Yeah. There's... There is an action that is lacking. Yes. There is, a, there is an apathy that is oftentimes enforced and propped up by a really broken theological system that, that, that somehow has taken, taken the statement, love God with all heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, and they've separated that into two different things. That is one thing. Yeah. Jeremiah said, Jeremiah claimed that the God of the universe said that he took the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Isn't that what it means to know me? says the Lord God Almighty. Yeah. So you can talk all day about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If I don't see it, I don't believe you. Yeah. Right. I want to see it. God says, the way you can tell if somebody knows me, here's how you know. Yep. You'll know them by their love, yep. by, their, by laying down their lives. And there's a way for you to do that. And there's a lot of good reasons not to do that. Like I want to I finish my answer to your question sure. about the, the plumber. Like I'm plumbing. What if you figure out how to use plumbing in the direction of freedom. There's a way. I don't know what it is, mm-hmm. but I've met so many people doing audacious things. I met a, a, a lady that ran a 5K in stiletto high heels, <laughs> raised all sorts of money, all sorts of uh, attention on this issue. And then there's some girls that reminded me of that, that boy on the hillside that brought his five loaves of bread and two fish, and they said, we do what you do. I said, what? They're like, we hunt wolves and we rescue princesses. Uh. And I have no idea what they do, how they do it, <laughs> but to know that they are part of this with me. Yeah. You, you have a little power, and I have a little bit of power and platform and influence and privilege 
if I hold that in and just use that, you're going to use it for something. It's currency. Yeah. You're going to use that currency for something. And if I choose to hoard that currency, hoard that, that, and I'm not talking just about finances, almost, I'm not really even talking about finances, right. even though we need funds for the Exodus Road. But if you hoard that creativity, your imagination, um, and I don't use that power to help a little bit. What kind of person does that make me? Mm-hmm. And if that sounds too harsh, I want to say there's a great reason not to help. One of them it is you don't know what to do. Mm. And I don't know quite what to do, and I didn't. Or it feels like it doesn't matter. That's another really good reason. Like it's just going to be one little one little drop. Yeah. Well, remember, it's going to be one little five loaves of bread and two fish. That's what it's going to be. Yeah. You have no idea what happens when the maker holds that up, blesses it, and there's leftovers. <laughs> or when when Moses did however he did it, man, he didn't want to do it. Yeah. He's like, hey, I can't. I'm not a good talker. Yeah. Uh, maybe Aaron should, you know, okay. God's like, okay, fine. Aaron can go with you. Fine. <laughs> yeah. Go and do this thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> go stand up to that world superpower and 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 and, and t- take the cause of oppressed people to to in the halls of power yeah go do that and he's like okay i'll do it and it ended up being the case that when he it looked like all was lost but he put one foot in front of another foot and the waters parted before him and he read him he led a million people to their freedom yeah so don't for those good reasons that i mentioned don't let those good reasons be be a, a hindrance We've talked several times today about Keith Green, and I think about the song, and I wish I could remember which song it was, but he's talking, it's one of his live albums, and he says, how about me not sending my money this time? How about me going? Mm. And I am a huge proponent, our podcast listeners know, I'm a huge proponent of doing short-term missions. And so it might be a mission trip to someplace, not necessarily to do this this, this, uh, abolitionist work, but it might be going help digging a well. You're a plumber? Go dig a well. That'll bring fresh water yeah. that, you know. And the other part of this that I think is real important is that God doesn't want us to say, I just have this stuff. It's no good. Yeah, He's built us to be images of him with talents that can be used to make a difference. And it might yeah. not be abolitionism like you're doing. It might be teaching people how to raise chickens. It might be, yeah. you know, but all of that is part of the big picture. And so, yes, I'm, I'm, and I'm not discounting Dave, what you're talking about, about the abolitionism, but I'm trying to encourage people. You have the opportunity to make a difference because you were created the, per- the way you are. And don't let that nudging, fall to the wayside, do something about it, investigate it, and maybe go on Exodus road trip, maybe go with a mission trip, or maybe work stateside and help people stateside so that they can do that. But there's all kinds of ways to be involved. Yeah. Everybody has their own voice. Everybody has their own fingerprints, Yeah, their own, their own sphere of influence. And there's one passage, because something that I'm frustrated by and what i mean by a bad theology is there's so much noise out there kind of like making fun of people that talk the way i talk about social causes mm. and saying oh that's it the people go so far to say it's a distraction from the gospel when i it is the gospel though right well at least according to isaiah and jesus quoted him first saying i have good news for poor people and and i've been anointed to proclaim it and 
to proclaim freedom to the captives, yeah. liberty to the prisoners, and a race, restoration of dignity to the oppressed and downtrodden. So as soon as you say that, though, people will say, well, the poor you will have with you always, Jesus said that. Well, Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy, and what, the verse he quoted when he said that in context was, therefore, always make them a priority. And then people <laughs> say, well, well, you're, you're, all your righteous actions, they're just like filthy rags. Man, I don't even know why you got to say that. Like it says it enough. It says the whole purpose of this whole thing was for you. Once you've you know seen the light or however you want to describe it, go and do these good works, which prepared for you to do yeah. you and you only since before the foundations of the earth were fastened. There was a a role for you to play, and I want you to step into it. And it's going to be sorrowful, yeah. and I want that sorrow for you because they called Jesus Christ the Man of Sorrows who was acquainted with grief and your, for for me, me putting myself intentionally in close proximity with someone else's sorrow has been the biggest contributing factor to the joy I have. Not a happiness, not a happiness, but this joy that I have and this hope that I have being so close to hopelessness because I think like, like the writer of Les Mis, like Miserable said, to love another person is to see the face of God. And I truly believe that. God is in the slums, as Bono said, in the cardboard boxes where the poor play house. He's in the cries heard under the rubble of war. He's in the silence of a mother who's infected her daughter with a virus that they'll both die from. And he's with us if we're with them. So I want to I be where God's at. And he's not always in... In buildings, you know, I don't, I want to be where God's at. And, and God is in that. He's not with me or with that, or with the person that's enslaved, but in that interaction, there's something where you, where you, where you, where you experience um, the maker in a way that I don't think exists. I think the second most powerful way is in music, but the first most powerful way (laughs) is right there. David, our time has gone so quickly. I, I could talk with you for three or four hours. I know it's late for you guys there, but uh, one of the things that we do every Saturday is we send out a newsletter to people asking folks how to pray. Uh, yeah. Sometimes you know, sometimes we we look at prayer as, well, that's something I can do, but it's very powerful. So how, how can we be praying for you and the work that you guys are doing in the weeks and months ahead? You can pray for our teams right now. They're getting creative. Uh Trafficking's moved online a lot, so we're moving online too. The teams are. Um, you can pray for my family. I just found out after a lot of negotiation, my daughter got approved for a surgery surgery she really needs. Oh, very cool. I mean, literally, like right before we we talked, uh, we've been in this, um, you know, we've been in this weird, you know quarantine and like prepare for the surgery then have it cancel and then syringe pulls out from under our feet and then it's been just a roller coaster so it's like you can pray for that you can pray for the band like we don't have you know like so many musicians we don't have income right now right wait wait to start touring again and, and do it right do it in the in, in the way that that uh, really respects and protects uh, the communities that we go to uh, so yeah i appreciate that are you fired up yet Doesn't David make a compelling argument for not just sitting at home comfortably watching the news, but maybe rolling up our sleeves and doing something? We talked about a lot of suggestions in the show, but 
Ultimately, I'd love for you to pray about what interests you. What is the problem that, as you're driving through town, when you see it, you just can't stop thinking about it? Or maybe there's a story you've heard about someone that makes you say, I could help by doing you fill in the blank. If you take one thing away from today's podcast, I pray that your eyes have been opened to the things around you. I hope that you have become aware of opportunities where you can get involved, no matter how seemingly insignificant. I appreciate the story David reminded us about in chapter 6 of John, about the little boy. Uh, all the adults were kind of standing around saying, man, somebody's got to do something to feed all this big, huge crowd of people. But it was that one little boy who just said, hey, I've got a sack lunch. Can you use this? And Jesus turned that into a feast for thousands of people with baskets full of leftovers. What is in your sack lunch? What currency do you have that can make a difference? Use it, invest it, and help be a better part of your community. As always, thanks for joining me for this conversation today. I am grateful that we get to spend this time together each week hearing stories of God's amazing faithfulness. As a regular listener to this podcast, would you mind taking a few minutes and rating it on your favorite podcast app? Reviews and ratings really help spread the word so that other folks can hear about these great conversations. And if you have comments or questions for me, please feel free to drop me a message on any of the social media platforms. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon by searching for at CCMExchange. Or you can always drop me an email on the website christianmusicarchive.com. I'm really looking forward to our time together next week when I have another great conversation with one of the musicians you'll find on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. So until then, remember this, God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you. <laughs>